I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical. Shopify.com forward slash practical. If you would like to get rid of those ads, you can do so by going to stoicismpod.com forward slash members. And for just $6 a month, you get seven episodes a week, all ad free. Again, that's stoicismpod.com forward slash members. Welcome back to Practical Stoicism, my dear Prokoptan. I am glad you're here. If you haven't joined our Discord community yet, I hope you will. You can do so for free at stoicismpod.com forward slash Discord. And when you get there, say hi. We've got nearly 500 people in there at this point. Donald Robertson is one of them as is Jackson from History with Jackson. We're beginning to add other relevant podcasters to our community, and you can connect with some of those people there. And it's all for free. Imagine that. So go and add yourself to our numbers if you are so inclined. Today we're covering Letter 3 from Seneca's Letters to Lucilius, and that letter reads as follows. You have sent a letter to me through the hand of a friend of yours, as you call him, and in your very next sentence you warn me not to discuss with him all the matters that concern you, saying that even you yourself are not accustomed to do this. In other words, you have in the same letter affirmed and denied that he is your friend. Now, if you use this word of ours in the popular sense and called him a friend in the same way in which we speak of all candidates for election as honorable gentlemen, and as we greet all men whom we meet casually, if their names slip us for the moment, with the salutation, my dear sir, so be it. But if you consider any man a friend whom you do not trust as you trust yourself, you are mightily mistaken and you do not sufficiently understand what true friendship means. Indeed, I would have you discuss everything with a friend, but first of all, discuss the man himself. When friendship is settled, you must trust. Before friendship is formed, you must pass judgment. Those persons indeed put last first and confound their duties, who, violating the rules of Theophrastus, judge a man after they have made him their friend instead of making him their friend after they have judged him. Ponder for a long time whether you shall admit a given person to your friendship, but once you have decided to admit him, welcome him with all your heart and soul, 
speak as boldly with him as with yourself. As to yourself, although you should live in such a way that you trust your own self with nothing which you could not entrust even to your enemy, yet, since certain matters occur which convention keeps secret, you should share with a friend at least all your worries and reflections. Regard him as loyal, and you will make him loyal. Some, for example, fearing to be deceived, have taught men to deceive. By their suspicions, they have given their friend the right to do wrong. Why need I keep back any words in the presence of my friend? Why should I not regard myself as alone when in his company? There is a class of men who communicate to anyone whom they meet matters which should be revealed to friends alone and unload upon the chance listener whatever irks them. Others, again, fear to confide in their closest intimates, and if it were possible, they would not trust even themselves, burying their secrets deep in their hearts. But we should do neither. It is equally faulty to trust everyone and to trust no one. Yet the former fault is, I should say, the more ingenious, while the latter, the more safe. In like manner, in like manner you should rebuke these two kinds of men, both those who always lack repose and those who are always in repose. For love of bustle is not industry. It is only the restlessness of a haunted mind. And true repose does not consist in condemning all motion as merely vexation. That kind of repose is slackness and inertia. Therefore, you should note the following saying, taken from my reading in Pomponius. Some men shrink into dark corners to such a degree that they see darkly by day. No men should combine these tendencies, and he who reposes should act, and he who acts should take repose. Discuss the problem with nature. She will tell you that she has created both day and night. So then, we are talking about friends, and I bet this one hits home for a great many of us. I'm guilty of doing exactly what Seneca advises against. I view privacy, anonymity, etc. as kinds of dishonesty, really. I've always felt that way. I've always felt a lack of total transparency is a sort of lie, and so I'm very open with total strangers and dear confidants alike. In fact, I think needing dear confidants is a kind of silly thing, for why would anyone need someone special to share things with unless there's something they don't want others to know or potential outcomes they fear? But this is probably not the most practical position to take, this position of mine that I just outlined. And to be honest, it might be rooted in my desire to defy the sort of person I used to be in my teens and twenties, which was a person who would hide things and lie about things and be generally dishonest. Not in a criminal capacity, but in a dishonest capacity. So I'm probably overcorrecting as a way of being sure that I'm no longer viewed as that person or indeed no longer that person. Or it could be that the sort of person I am, a straight white guy living in America, can afford to be pretty carefree with my identity and opinions. If I lived in a population that looked mostly not like me, let's say Cambodia or Kenya, perhaps I would have reason to think differently about this. But what Seneca says here does make good sense in general, I think. We all certainly have things we would perhaps not want to trust to the general public or to the deepest, darkest corners of the internet. Perhaps we have medical conditions we don't wish to share. Cancer diagnoses, for example. 
or maybe a family member is going through something that they've asked us to keep private. How many times have you wished someone would keep a secret you've entrusted them with, but they don't? And likewise, how many times have you been entrusted with a secret and done what my partner does all the time? Quote, so I don't want you to tell anyone this because it's supposed to be secret, but you're my partner, so I want to tell you to get your opinion on it. Have you ever done that? Has your partner ever done that to you? I, for one, cannot stand it because it puts me in an impossible situation where I have to remember two sorts of things, all the things I can say out loud and all the things I can't, which is another reason perhaps I tend to be so public about everything. As someone with ADHD, there's not a snowball's chance in hell I could remember more than maybe one or two things I wasn't supposed to say. Everything else would just be information I had and would not be labeled by my brain with any sort of clear, confidential sticker. But if you're someone who cares about your privacy, who cares about your anonymity or needs a confidant, how careful are you in choosing those confidants, really? In choosing friends, how careful are you? In the age of Facebook and social media, don't you have, like, thousands of friends? And of those thousands of so-called friends, how many would you really trust with a real secret? If the answer is 12, maybe it's time to ask why you have friends who aren't friends because a person you cannot entrust a private thing to with confidence certainly isn't a friend. But also, are you one of those 12 for someone else? Do you gossip or gab when you shouldn't? Consider how many people call you a friend when they shouldn't. Then think about how you can properly earn the label of true friend moving forward from today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Practical Stoicism. I would like to invite you to our free Discord community, which you can find by going to stoicismpod.com forward slash discord. We're about to cross the 500 member mark and we would love to have you in there. Lots of good people, smart people, curious people, and good Stoics. And lastly, I'd like to ask you to share this podcast with any friend or family member that you feel would benefit from it and would be interested in it. That can help us grow and I would appreciate that greatly. Thank you again for listening and until next time, take care. Take care.